Well, normally I like to open the show with a, a clever clip, a uh, little quip or something, but uh, God, what an absolute nightmare scenario out in Lewiston, Maine, Renee. Get me up to speed because I'll be honest with you, I went to bed fairly early and I, I'm not sure exactly what's happening right now. Yeah, so uh, last night around 7 p.m., there was a gun, uh, a gunman shot and killed more than 20 people, injuring uh. 50 people, two different locations, a restaurant and a bowling alley. Right now, there's an intense manhunt underway for 40-year-old Robert Carr. Uh, he has not been caught as of right now. Law enforcement officials told CNN that Card is a certified firearms instructor, a member of the U.S. Army Reserve. Uh, he recently made threats to carry out a shooting in a National Guard facility in Maine and uh, also reported mental health issues, including hearing voices in his head. So um, the fact that he is a certified firearms instructor and a member of the U.S. Army Reserve makes this much more concerning because uh, people in the surrounding area are being told to stay inside their homes, keep keep the doors locked. It's it, it's like a horror movie playing out in real life. Yeah, that's that's incredibly scary and concerning, as you said. My gosh. I mean, because... You know, recently there have been stories about these manhunts that last for 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 days, maybe weeks. And it turns out that, you know, the people who are are the assailants who the police are looking for, they have some kind of formal training, like, mm-hmm. you know, former military training or former law enforcement training. And that makes the, the manhunt drag on for for, you know, days and weeks on end. So hopefully. Hopefully they find this guy. Um, I mean, it's it, it it's, it's terrifying because they don't know where he is. He could pop up anywhere. There are multiple hospitals that are taking in victims. Um, if I'm working in a hospital, I'm on high alert. So uh, just a terrible situation unfolding. And hopefully it comes to a peaceful conclusion with no more bloodshed very soon. Right. Uh, meanwhile, closer to home, I thought that this was going to be our top story this morning. Uh, I would say it's some good news. Yeah. It's nice to see Sean Fain smile. He is smiling. Smiles McFain. (laughs) On on Facebook, him and uh, Executive Vice President um, Browning. I uh, forgot the young, the the fellow's first name. We'll get that in a second. But uh, yeah, they 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 took to Facebook yesterday to um, announce the deal. Chuck Browning. Thank you, Chuck Browning. That's a that's a good working man's name. It is. Um, good old Chuck. <laughs> good good old Chuck and Sean came through for the the leader uh, the membership, and they really have um, just a couple of the highlights. Uh, there's going to be an immediate 11% raise with uh, 25% raise over the four-and-a-half-year contract. Now, with the cost of living increases, it's actually more uh, – it's closer to 30% overall, and that's not too far away from the original 40% they're asking for. You know, you have to give McVean credit. You know, he he did what everyone thought was just insane and crazy. It'll never happen. Right. He's just uh, talking crazy. He made it happen. Right. Well, and, and look, they got 25%. That's that's a historic wage increase. But we all know if you ask for 25%, you're going to get 15 or 20. Right. Right. So that's why you ask for 40. That's you ask for bidding four- 101. Right. Exactly. Um, I've never negotiated anything. I'd be a terrible uh, negotiator. Uh, by the way, uh, can, can Sean Fain call our bosses and maybe negotiate yeah. a raise? Um, His name is Steve. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Sean, us, if you're listening. We'll give his phone number out over there. We do not care. 
Uh, top wages will end up being more than $40 an hour. Wow, that's 80000 a year. Yeah, it is. Starting wages will go up 68% to $28 an hour. And, uh, you, you know, they're going to new hires and temporary workers are going to get up to that uh, top wage much sooner. Multi-tiered wage system is gone. Uh, the right to strike over plant closures um, is part of the deal, as well as uh, improved retirement benefits. Um, now, this is actually kind of interesting. Uh, employees will go back to work during the ratification process, which is not the norm. But uh, this is part of the strategy. Here's uh, here's Chuck Browning explaining it. We are calling on all Ford strikers to go back to work while we vote on our tentative agreement. Like everything we've done in this stand-up strike, this is a strategic move to get the best deal possible. We're going back to work at Ford to keep the pressure on Stellantis and GM. Wow. Right. Because, it, you know... It, for this whole process, it was the UAW versus the big three. Now it's the UAW and Ford and the other big three, uh, Ford and Stellantis. They don't want to see Ford get too too far ahead of them when it comes yeah. to production. So now they're going to have to be uh, more inclined to reach a deal. It's like you're flipping on your own people. I, I mean, here's the thing. I don't know what kind of negotiations Sean Fain has done in the past I, I mean, this was almost a master class here. Yeah, it was. And there were so many times where you're thinking, God, that's a good deal. If you, if you don't take it, you're going to blow it. But uh -huh. then, but he knew what he was doing. He stayed the course. And uh, I, I also wonder if his, you know, heavy handed negotiation tactics, it wasn't only to get a good uh, deal for his employees, this contract uh, go around. I would imagine Sean Fain's going to be reelected again by a wide margin for the next round of contract negotiations. You think? So I think it's, I think it was him kind of setting the tone for that because now the big three leadership knows what he's capable of. He, they know what he's um, willing to do. Right. And so there'll be a little less feeling out uh, of the next uh, the next contract go around and it'll be interesting to see how the big three adjust their strategy for the next for for the for the next go round in four and a half years so um and everyone's everyone's saying that uh you know now that ford has come to an agreement gm and stellanis will be uh not far behind and, and hopefully people get back to work and 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 kind of get caught up on their bills before the holidays yeah that and that's coming quickly as you said yesterday we are two months away from Christmas. Right. Let's get this over with. Um, and, oh, by the way, uh, on a day like today, uh, this is the third biggest story. Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson was elected uh, speaker yesterday with 220 votes. And uh, all I got to say is congratulations, Congress. You did your job. It only took three weeks. Hey, look at that. Look at you. You get a sticker and you get a sticker. You know, my, a good my, job sticker. My late father's voice was in my head because it kind of reminded me of like when I was a kid and I had classmates whose parents would, would pay him for good grades. I, I, I decided to, um, you know, like Sean Fain, go to my dad and say, hey, look. Uh, there's these kids in my class. They get paid for good grades. Like this one kid in my class, they get like five dollars for an A. They get a dollar for a B. And my dad says, "I'm not going to pay you for doing something that you're supposed I, to do anyway." I never understood that. Yeah, but that's why I'm not clapping for Congress. I, I know. I was like, "Good job, right? Yeah, good job for doing what you were supposed to." <laughs> oh, oh, you got you guys are still there. You haven't taken care of that yet. Um, so now repeal that asinine rule that one person can call for removal 
vote put in place by Matt Gates and accepted by Kevin McCarthy, who effed around and found out. Well, remember when you messaged me yesterday and said, I think this is going to get done. I said, yeah, I don't I, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. And I and I got that feeling because I was watching the live vote and, um, you know, uh, there's 221 Republicans in Congress. I don't know. Maybe one wasn't there, but there was literally nobody voting for for anyone other than Mike Johnson or Hakeem Jeffries. No, normally. You know, pretty early on, the vote would be split, and it was it was just a race between Johnson and Jeffries, and McCarthy had zero, um, uh, Jim Jordan had zero, other had zero, and I said, okay, this is going to get done. Do you think everybody was like, fine, whatever, that th- this is fine, great? I, I'm wondering because you know this this mostly was a Republican embarrassment, yeah. But not a single Democrat voted to save Kevin McCarthy when he worked with them to avoid a shutdown, and so now you have a a speaker who's much more conservative than Kevin McCarthy. You have a speaker who voted against certifying the election. And what did the Democrats think was going to happen when they voted uh, McCarthy out? Did they think they'd get a Democrat in there? Do they think they would get uh, a more moderate Republican? Like I said uh, a couple weeks ago, have you seen Republicans since the since 2016? Uh, they're not trending in no. the moderate direction. I think they gave up. I think they were just done. Right. But but I'm talking about like the original vote to, oh. to get, you know, I mean, just because there's a Republican in front of you doesn't mean you have to like vote him out because now you got a guy who is on the way other side of the spectrum. There's going to be a guy who's probably going to be tougher to work with. And uh, and, you know, I, I, I like I said, mostly the Republicans are, are to blame for this. But the, the, the Democrats kind of screwed themselves here a little bit, too. Yeah. So, I, I mean. Um, you know, like I said, all Kevin McCarthy did was work with Democrats to try to uh, get a um, deal done. And, and and I'm not even a, a Kevin McCarthy apologist, but uh, Mike Johnson is Mike. There, there's some things about Mike Johnson. It, it, it's, it's a bit concerning to me. Um, God, do we have time? Let's see. Uh, first thing that they did, we're running late, but. I think it's important to update everyone on on the latest in Israel. First thing the House did after Johnson was elected, they passed a resolution to support Israel. It came out yesterday that Israel is actually delaying their ground invasion of Gaza at the request of the United States, um, partly to get more hostages out, partly so that uh, the United States uh, can put air defense systems around their assets in places like Iraq, Jordan, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia, Syria, and the United Arab Emirates, because the thought process is once the Gaza uh, ground invasion happens, um, these the the United States assets in the area are going to be bigger targets. So that's uh, that's the latest. We'll be back. It's first thing. Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, and WJR. All right. Well, keeping an eye on this horrible situation out in maine you heard it on the uh fox news update more than 20 killed 50 hurt mass shooting event two different locations restaurant and bowling alley about 7 p.m tense manhunt underway for 40 year old robert carr card uh he's a certified firearms instructor and a member of the u.s army reserve um police are telling folks in the area to stay inside their homes so Hopefully this comes to a peaceful resolution with uh, no more bloodshed. Um, meanwhile, back at home, Renee, these new carpool lanes are alive mm. and they're in operation on I-75 between 12 Mile and South Boulevard. Now, 
Drivers are only allowed to use these far left lanes, both directions, between the hours of uh, 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. during the week. These are... um, Oh, uh, wait. There's a window. Yeah. 6 a.m., 9 a.m., and 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. Yeah. Let's make it as confusing as possible. Yeah. So and, and and so if you're on 75 in both directions at that time of day, if you don't have more than one person in your in your car. I like that they specified it had to be a human. Yeah. All right. <laughs> People driving around with Fluffy like. Fluffy isn't the exception. Cardboard cutouts. A crash test dummy. <laughs> and if you're Blow caught. Doll. Yeah. <laughs> no. We're not ready to go public yet. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, if you are caught driving with only one human in the car through this stretch between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. during the week, you could get a ticket for $130. What? And. What do you mean and? Two points. What? On your license. And Renee, uh, you and I are in lockstep, so I'm going to give you the floor and uh, I'll uh, I'll clean up anything you don't get in your Nobody rent. Nobody asked for this, first of all. This is ridiculous. Those kinds of fines and points, that's like something that's being dangerous. That's like reckless driving. Right. That's speeding. That's that's like Right, there's no there's absolutely no threat to public safety. No. People using the left lane during these times. I can understand a $130 fine and two points for the distracted driving thing because that puts people it, people's lives in danger. I hate this. This is a money grab. And on top it's a of total money grab. And on top of that, Two points on your license. And so many people are working from home right now. This would have been effective, like, I don't know, 10 years ago? See, I, I don't even think it would have been effective 10 years ago. I think that we live in Detroit, all right? Our public transportation is 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 is, is crap because um, they want to incentivize people buying cars. We all have our own cars. Right. Yes. There's that. And so, but you're right. So there's even less demand for that now. And I understand, all right, if you want to make these these um, HOV lanes a thing, give people a warning the first time. And then, yeah. and then $50. Uh, $50 seems fair. No points. $130. Points because and, I didn't have somebody in my car And your me? insurance going up. That's an economic hardship yes, for people. Yes, it is. Who voted for this? This Yeah, right. And you have to, like, let us get used to this. Yeah. Because, honestly, I'll be honest with you, I probably wouldn't have even known about this had I not worked at the news station yeah. and been more in tune about it. I mean, hopefully they do have signs out there. But you're telling me, okay, if if I'm driving on 75, one of the busiest stretches in the state, during the busiest times of day, and I'm stuck in, you know, the the, the two or three right lanes and traffic is slow, traffic is moving better in the left lane. I can't switch to the lane where traffic is 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 flowing smoother or else I'll get a $130 fine and two points on my license. Right. Absolutely. Trash. Uh, awful. Just awful. Speaking of awful. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've kind of been taught, we've been following a, it's kind of a trend at, at least around here of mail carriers being robbed for their master keys to like the, all the um mailboxes in the city happened twice in early September down river and Taylor and then it it happened in a more affluent 
Very uh, seemingly very safe area of Metro Detroit recently. Yeah, the Northville Township Police Department says that two suspects have been arrested in connection to an armed robbery of a mail carrier on Tuesday. Police were called to the area of Silver Spring Drive in 8 Mile around 1245. Two suspects armed with a gun reportedly approached the mail carrier and demanded keys to postal boxes that access collection boxes, apartment mailboxes, and personal mailboxes. Now, the suspects took the keys and fled the area in a silver mid-sized Hyundai SUV. Livonia police came across the silver Hyundai on 96 and Middle Belt Road, and the two suspects were arrested about 10 miles from where the armory took place, or excuse me, the armed robbery took place. Multiple weapons were found in the car. This is the third recent incident of a mm-hmm. robbery of a postal carrier. Uh, there were two robberies in Taylor last month, mm-hmm. and it's not clear if they were related Uh, The United States Postal Inspection Service said to maintain the integrity of several active investigations, additional specific details are unavailable at this time. Yeah, and, you know, my first thought were those two um, incidents in Taylor. I'm glad they caught these people. I don't think they caught uh, the folks who did it in Taylor. So hopefully hopefully they are one and the same. And and actually, this is a big problem nationwide. Uh, Police have made 600 arrests since May of people holding up postal workers at gunpoint for for these keys. Uh, In past weeks, there's uh, bail care has been robbed in Denver, in Houston, and, uh, yeah, it turns out the post office has its own police force, and they say that they are going to be turning up the pressure on perpetrators. And uh, mail's not something you want to mess around with, no. Renee. The, um, it's a federal offense. Yeah, 10-year ten 10-year ten penalty, 10-year um, jail sentence um, for the first uh, offense. And then a- if you get out of jail after 10 years and you do it again, you're going back for 25 years. As you should. Yeah. I- I'm Because... Less and less people use the mail, but like the mail, your bills come through there. You you know, you send uh, official documents, you know, like like the IRS, if they're trying to get a hold of you, they can only contact you via the mail. So if you're not getting your bills, if you're not getting your your letters from government agencies, that that puts you at uh, at big risk Um, out in my homeland, Clinton Township. There is a big controversy over a uh, the location of a trunk or treat event. I thought this was satire when I first heard this story. I was like, no way is this real. Uh, there are growing concerns over a planned trunk or treat. Uh, it's happening at a cemetery. Spooky. <laughs> yeah, very. Obviously, community members are unhappy about plans. It was going to happen. It is going to happen at the Cadillac Memorial Gardens off of Garfield and Clinton Township tonight. As you can imagine, people aren't happy about this. It's yeah. happening in the final resting place for so many. They're calling the event inappropriate, disrespectful, and morbid. And at one point, there was a flyer for the event that implied that there would be a classic car show taking place oh my during the trunk or treat as well. Uh, however, someone at the cemetery stated that there would not be a car show despite the flyer. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> not a car show. The car show's been called off. But the children can still get as much candy as they What is going on here? This is how you get ghosts. (laughs) Authentic ghosts included. Right. I I mean, you're you're, you're traipsing around on hallowed ground. And look, when I was a kid, I loved... You know, spooky fun in the cemetery as much as anyone else. But it's a, this is like a sanctioned event. Who thought this 
was a good idea. You know, could you imagine you're just trying to go visit your poor, your your, your dear departed loved one? Grandma. Yeah. And then, oh, you know, here's, here comes some kid asking you for a Snickers. Dressed up as Harry Potter. And it, it, it's funny. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, yeah, you said you thought this was, was satire first. You thought this was uh, The Onion or The McComb Daily or, yes! or whatever. But, no, uh, this is a thing. And I, after all the backlash, they're still moving forward with it. Which, look, I, I, I have to uh, applaud the resolve. <laughs> but why was the classic car show the lie? They're like, <laughs> they're like okay. Everybody, we're drawing a line here. Look, we're not so disrespectful that we're going to have a uh, classic car show, but come join us for trunk or treat. Oh we'll be bobbing God. for apples and uh, and be a, for all a, a costume contest. Yeah. And, and it's fine. I saw this. I first saw this story about two or three days ago, and we forgot to get to it yesterday. I thought by today this thing would be canceled. Right? No, but, they're they're moving forward. So you know what. My mom lives over there. Maybe I'll ask her, uh, it, you know, to, to to swing by and let us know what the turnout we is. We have family members there. Yeah, you know. just have uh, we'll, we'll just have our whole family doing co-op surveillance. Ugh. Yikes! And what kind of Cringe. candy were they giving away? Was there anything good that didn't have any milk chocolate that would upset my tummy? Yeah, you, you can't have the milk chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, maybe I'm just bitter. People are going to be having fun. Uh, First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. Heading down the home stretch here. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale. And going to bring in Guy Lloyd and Jamie from JR Morning. And uh, yesterday, you guys were on the banks of the Red Cedar. And now you're at the uh, Crosstown Rival, the University of Michigan this morning for the final day of your uh, WJR college tour. We have our, uh, I have my Harbaugh khakis on. Um, <laughs> Lloyd is uh, festooned in maize and blue. Jamie's and got the glasses. Jamie's got some blue on, but largely she's Switzerland. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, no, I she's like both schools. She's married to a Spartan. Yeah. I'm you married know? to a Spartan, but I like both schools. I've covered them both in the sports arena, and they're great. See, I'm that's married how I... to a Wolverine, sire to Wolverine, son-in-law is a Wolverine. I can't escape. The Wolverines. A lot of guys' money uh, went to the University of Michigan. <laughs> I have, yeah, I, I see a few dollars here. <laughs> this Ross School of Business, oh, is, this building, it's amazing, is beautiful. But when you consider what goes on here and the quality of graduates they have, it, it amongst public institutions, I would say it is, it's without peer. Well, and I'm sure that uh, the Ross School of Business is going to be studying this uh, this UAW strike. For years and years to come, um, I got to say, UAW, Sean Fain got the folks at Ford a, a heck of a deal. Uh, 25% raise over four years. It's going to actually equal out to, to over 30% with the cost of living increases, the multi-tiered wage system, um, uh, amongst other things. And, and for more details, you guys are going to be covering it all morning. But, uh, you know, Fain has made no secret that that he once this is all over he wants to go after the foreign automakers and i for one am just looking forward to a sean fain versus elon musk showdown if if and when that happens <laughs> well you know good luck with that they haven't had any success doing it yet maybe after this contract they can go in with uh, the afterburners on mm -hmm, and we'll mm -hmm. see but, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. And in the meantime, it does give, and we can talk further about this, I mean, it gives Honda, Toyota, and Tesla an extensive labor cost advantage. So, I, I mean, it's, uh, and, and that's going to show up in your profit-sharing checks as well. 
Well, I think, though, if I mean, if you go to them and you show you show, you know, this deal that Ford got and and we're, we're thinking that GM and Stellantis will will get a similar one and you're trying to incentivize to them to uh, to unionize and organize. I, I think this I, I think this deal is a pretty strong selling point. Oh, yeah. Starting wages up 60, 68 percent. Yeah. The top wage is up 33 percent. Once you, again, you factor in cola, but the temps. My goodness, the temps come out in this very well. A 150% raise through the end of the deal uh, and in 2027. That is significant. Well, well, radio's been a lot of fun. I think I'm going to go work on the line. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he really is stone cold. We've been calling him stone cold yeah. for for a long time, and so he is. Well, and Renee and I were talking about this. There's been so many times, you know, throughout this whole process, I, I'm thinking to myself, that's a great deal. You're going to blow this. And obviously he didn't. He knew what he was doing. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, Guy and Lloyd, you guys have, have covered the auto industry here in Detroit, um, you know, extensively for years. And I know there's been nothing normal about this strike, but... Let's say that, uh, you know, let's pretend that that things are kind of normal. Once one auto company makes a deal, how quickly do the other two reach an agreement? Well, they normally fall in line within a week or two. Yeah, I mean, and, and you've got to imagine that they've been working hard at this. That, 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 that Every report we've heard is that they were already hard at work on it. But Sean Fain and his 10-minute Facebook uh, highly produced message uh, <laughs> yeah. last night. Now, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. No. I'm saying it's nice to see to, him smile again. Yeah, <laughs> that they wanted to, you know, they wanted to, they put it out there with graphics and everything else. They did a good job putting uh, putting it out there. But There's more to uh, come. He, uh, you know, he acknowledges that there is now even more pressure as Ford begins to pump out their F-150s, as Ford is pumping out more Explorers and mm-hmm. Escapes. GM, it's in Stellantis, that their most profitable plants are not. So it certainly ramps up the pressure on them. I think it's interesting that Ford is the first one since Bill Ford came out and Farley was very vocal. And, and it no seemed mas. like they were the most contentious, but yeah, here we are with the first tentative agreement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it yeah, and it sounded that, that, that behind the scenes it was the most bitter. Right. Right, yeah. And so uh, – that, and that's, if the show's to go you one thing, that you can't always judge what's happening in the negotiations based on a lot of the dust that's thrown in the air publicly. No. And, you know, it's it's done like that. But behind the scenes, they're working very hard. And I'm sure the people on the line, they're ready to get back to work. Some of them very emotional yesterday. Yeah. I mean, especially with the holidays, uh, you know, coming up quickly. 619, um, the morning crew is going to be talking to Phoebe Wall Howard, the automotive reporter at the Free Press. Uh, for a lot more in-depth analysis, stay tuned. And you're back. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, and people involved in the Donald Trump indictments are, aren't the only ones getting plea deals. One of the suspects in the alleged Michigan false elector scheme made a plea deal with Attorney General Dana Nessel's office to testify against the others. Attorney Neil Rockine talks about it with Kevin and Tom on All Talk. A bit of a legal uh, tangle here, a wrangling going on in Michigan surrounding the, this group of individuals who attempted to uh, transmit alternate electoral votes, uh, witnessing a real noticeable twist here. James Renner, one of the 16 who has been charged in this, uh, the, the felony charges against him have now been dropped uh, Kevin, in exchange for his cooperation with the prosecution, with Dana Nessel's office. So you wonder, will this strategic move set a new precedent and maybe other people will flip in this case? 
Boy, we're talking a lot about cooperation agreements today, Tom. We have all yep. these attorneys for Donald Trump uh, uh, coming to plea deals and uh, agreeing to uh, perhaps testify against the president. Uh, everybody, everybody wants a deal. Uh, defendant James Renner uh, in the Michigan fake electors case uh, had his felony charges dropped uh, after agreeing to cooperate. Uh, will that mean uh, there will be more people following suit? Uh, how much does it strengthen the prosecution's case, if at all? Let's bring in expert Neil Rockon, criminal defense trial attorney at Rockon Law. Good morning, sir. How are you? I am well. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing well. Uh, the first headline I saw on this in the paper said uh, it was a big win uh, for A.G. Nessel's office. Uh, that headline actually changed uh, the next day. I don't know if that was intentional or not. But as you look at this, is this a big win in this case for uh, Attorney General uh, Nessel? Hard to say. Um, you know, first, I've, we've learned not to trust headlines, right? I mean, headline, those who write the headlines often, it seems sometimes, haven't even read the article. Uh, <laughs> and some who haven't, some, and some who've investigated and written the article seem to uh, <laughs> have not really gotten the story entirely correct. <laughs> um, look, the reality is that when this case began, I think it was uh, understood or believed that the uh, 16, um, you know, the electors or the, the Republican electors or substitute electors, fake electors, whatever term you want to use for them. Um, I think that, that it began with the idea that they were all going to be in last step. Uh, and for the most part, they seem like they have been sort of in last step, right? I mean, a principal d decision on their part, uh, lawyers working together and essentially taking the same position um, throughout the, the case. They've staggered their preliminary examinations, their probable cause hearings. Uh, some, I think, hearings starting relatively soon, some going all the way until, I think, January uh, or February of next year. Um, what's interesting is, is the, w w I think we're going to learn more about what these cooperation agreements mean. Um, there's two ways to look at them. You could have someone who's agreeing to cooperate who is at the heart of the state's case, at the heart, is the centerpiece of the case. So if you have for example, Sammy the Bull Gravano, who's agreeing to cooperate against, uh, you know, John Gotti, as an example, you've got number two arguably cooperating against, you know, number one in the entire organization. That's a big win for a for a prosecutor. Um, but we don't know what this what Mr. Renner's role is purportedly. Um, maybe he had very little to offer. Maybe his culpability in the case was was very was was minor. Um, you know, if his, if his cooperation or his culpability was potentially very low um, or, or minimal, his cooperation could just be, hey, let's get this guy out of the case. Let's get the charges dismissed against him, could be the AG's thinking. Let's get whatever he knows uh, reduced into to writing, and let's move on to the other, to the other more significant um, uh, defendants. Yeah, but if you're representing uh, Michelle Maddock or Kathy Burden, are, are they calling you up and saying, uh, uh, Mr. Rockind, uh, look, uh, the felony was just thrown away against an alleged co-conspirator. I, 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 want, I want at least the opportunity to accept a deal like that. Um, yes, some of them may be calling. depends on who you're – if they're calling the attorney general – uh, or the attorney general staff, potentially they could be seeking to have some of those charges dismissed or they might want the same offer. Uh, but remember, this is a, this sort of cooperation offer, this sort of cooperation agreement 
and and the public dissemination of it. So it didn't just they didn't just walk into court and say, hey, we're dismissing the case. Let's see what this guy knows. They likely already had a debriefing. So the way this works for your audience's sake um, is there will be discussions back and forth between the prosecutors and and the and Mr. Renner's lawyers. And those those are, those discussions are going back and forth about what is it potentially that, that he could offer. And because there's typically an inability on the part of a defendant to sit down and talk to the government and say, here's what I know without he, without incriminating himself, there are cooperation agreements. Uh, we'll refer to them as a queen, queen, for, the, a queen for a day or um, in, a castigar agreement, where basically you get to come in and there's an agreement. You sit down and tell us what you know and be truthful and tell us everything. We get to ask you questions. And um, we get to decide at that point if we want to do business. Mm -hmm. And if we want to do business, the, the government says, okay, we'll make you this deal. And the defendant says, okay, I agree. And that way each side can decide whether or not they want to, they want to move forward with one another as a cooperator. Um, and so I, I think though that there are likely to be some defendants in this case who are just simply never going to sit down and take a plea. They're, they're never going to sit down and attempt to cooperate. You probably named a couple of them. I find it very, very unlikely, Kevin and Tom, that um, like Michonne Maddock, for example, she's just, I, I, I would be stunned if she ever sat down with all the vitriol that she's taken to the, to this, to, to her role and, and sat down and, and cooperated. In that so, case, then, is, is someone like her uh, or someone else there, are they considered more of the, the bigger fish to fry in this? You get these lower, maybe lower level offenders uh, to, to agree to cooperate. You build the case based on their information that they have to go after the, maybe someone like a Michonne Maddock. Or is there, somebody, is, is, there a, is there a larger picture here? Are they trying to go after maybe ultimately uh, a Donald Trump? For example, is that the ultimate big fish? Um, I, I guess it's possible, although, you know, can I? So, so to answer the first part of the question, yeah, Tom, yeah. yes, you, the, 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 the cooperator who's identified, you either start with low, people on the low end and work your way up, or you start with somebody high and you try to work your way down. Um, you know, it's very difficult, though, for, for in a case like this, which is really based on a lot of, uh, of, of advocacy and, and politics and, and, and ideology to imagine starting at the top. You know, so they start at the bottom of people that are going to be able to relay what was said, who, who was there, what were the discussions, what did individuals say. Part of this is going to be to eliminate the argument that, that people were making principled but uninformed decisions. They thought they were there to just sign a you know, a document, um, they didn't realize that, uh, you know, that they were essentially authoring a fraudulent document, so to speak. There may be some things the government is trying to establish with that. But do I think that the, the attorney general in the state of Michigan, I don't think she's afraid of pursuing a larger defendant beyond these 16. Although I would be very surprised if yeah. she had the ability to bring in a national defendant like that, just yeah. because it would take so much effort and so much work, and I don't think these cases will end up being tried yeah. if they if they are tried in time for for a prosecution of a national figure. Real quick here. Oh, sorry, Tom. We got to go. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale on WJR. Just kidding, Tom. That was a bad adage job by me.